Stephen noted the weighty assignment that I have today as we think about this final sole, to God be glory alone. In fact, the very word doxa in the Greek, the, the word uh, in kabod in the Hebrew actually means weight. And so I feel a sense of weight and responsibility over about a 30-minute period of time here to talk about the glory of God. Because when you ask the question, uh, what does it mean to bring glory to God? This is a big question because it is the purpose and the goal of all of life. And if you're wondering, maybe you showed up here, what is the purpose of life? Your life's purpose is to bring glory to God. That's it. We talk often around here about living life on purpose. The purpose of life is to bring glory to God. Today we're going to talk about that. We've been in this series uh, for the past month, and it has been an incredible time as we've looked deeply into the five sole. Uh, sola, it's a Latin term, the plural term there, sole. The five sole that were the battle cries of the Reformation. Now, over time, these became the central uh, foci of the Reformation some 500 years ago, as Brian noted, uh, this Tuesday to the day, 500 years ago, Martin Luther in that great act sparked the Protestant Reformation along with many others, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin in Geneva, we had John Huss and many who came before and after uh, Wycliffe and Bible translators who were martyred for bringing the Scriptures into the language of the common people. It's hard for us to imagine today. But it was a, it was a time of great change and a shift in the church that we are still feeling the reverberations of even in our time. So we've said, let's focus today. What are the implications 500 years later and let's talk about a new reformation so the five sole we've looked at scripture alone is our authority uh, above all else we look at scripture it's what points us to all these others solo gratia grace alone not the law it's by god's grace that we're saved sola fide it's by faith not works that we are saved. It's not working harder. We say it often, getting better. That's religion. It's believing more deeply what Christ has already accomplished. We're saved by faith, by his grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He is our sole means for salvation. He alone has lived the perfect life for us. He alone has died on the cross for our sin. He stands apart from every other religious leader that's come down the pike. He's in a league all of his own. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and all glory is brought to him. So sola dio gloria is what we're going to focus on today because all the others sole point to this one, to the glory of God alone. I remember stepping on uh, the seminary campus uh, many years ago now, in Fort Worth from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I was not a Texan. I'd never really spent any time in Texas. I started to learn about, uh, about what took place uh, through Martin Luther's life. I remember reading uh, the great uh, biography by Blanton that, that he uh, wrote many years ago. And uh, even lately, there's a new biography by uh, Metaxas. It's come out on Martin Luther's life but just an incredible life uh, to sing a song today that was written 500 years ago. Imagine that. 
Little did he know that we would be singing his song today on this day. Because friends, listen, the Reformation did not only get us back to the core biblical theology of our faith, but it also birthed forth song among the people. The people did not sing congregationally like this. I mean, it was a radical shift, even in our worship, that we would come together and our singular focus would be not, what can I do in order to be saved? What can I add to what I'm hearing taught through the Latin language the priest is telling me? But instead, to, glory, to glorify God alone, to pray together, Lord, show us your glory so that we might then reflect, deflect your glory and praise you and worship you. And so to take on this task today is to take on a massive task. And I want you to think with me as we have been throughout these weeks. Put on your thinking cap, kids, teenagers, adults, let's all dive in. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11. Now, admittedly, I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of references, which is in part why we have the screen here to help us. You don't have to turn to all of them, though you can, if you'd like, enter into a kind of Bible drill with me as we will jump to Isaiah 6. We're going to go find ourselves across Scripture as we think about the glory of God. Now, the glory of God, as theologians and church leaders throughout the ages have thought about this, uh, it was the Westminster Catechism that came to this. The glory of God is the chief end of man. The chief end, the singular purpose of our lives is, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. All of creation points to the glory of God, as we'll see today. But here's the great challenge that I have for us today. We need to capture a new vision, a renewed vision of the glory of God. He is transcendent. He is beyond our comprehension. And yet He is imminent. He is close to us. He has revealed Himself to us. Now, here's the truth about God. He is not like us. So the only thing that we know about him is what he has chosen to reveal to us. And today we're going to talk about what this means. We're going to join Moses in his prayer. Lord, show me, show us your glory. So Romans chapter 11 is a good place to start. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. In the ESV, there's an exclamation point. Paul is now entering into doxology. Doxa, the word glory. Ology, kind of a word about. A word about the glory of God when we sing the doxology. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable, how bottomless, unfathomable are his ways. Deeply profound. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? He's saying he's all sufficient. He's all wise. No one brings anything to him. No one adds to his essence or character. For from him, look at this, he's creator. And through him, he's sustainer. And to him, he is the end of all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is really the essence of the message today, and we're going to unpack this a bit. What we need again is to rediscover, to recapture, 
in awe and reverence of God by beholding him. Lord, show us your glory. In his book, a classic book called The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer, you perhaps have heard this, page one, he says this, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. There's nothing more important in all of your life than a clear vision of who God really is. And today I want to talk about that. It should be the singular focus of our lives. But here, here it is, mass confession. None of us see him as he really is. None of us see him as he truly is. It's why it should be the constant prayer of our lives. Lord, show me. I want to behold you. I want to see you. Because as we're going to see today, to see him is to be changed by him. Tozer goes on to write this. Listen to this. Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where we can find him when we need him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. We all do this. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And, and what he is like is, of course, a composite of all the religious pictures and images that we have seen and all the best people that we have known or heard about and all the sublime ideas we have entertained. But he's saying none of us have truly captured who he really is. I would argue it's impossible. And yet... We can see him. We can know what he's revealed to us. My great prayer is that we'll be a church obsessed with the glory of God. Every time we gather in this place, in the great hall or in the gym to worship, our prayer should be, Lord, show us your glory. As our N. Espanol dance team uh, presented before us to dance before the Lord and to cry out, Lord, show us your glory. As we see him, we're changed by him. Let's talk about this. Glory to God alone. Here's how I'm going to break this down. If you take notes on sermons, it goes like this. We're going to first look at glory defined. I'm going to spend more time on this than the others. It's critical that we understand what is this glory. We're going to look at glory declared. I don't often use um, alliteration, but it works today. Uh, glory diminished. And then glory demonstrated. Glory deflected. And then glory displayed. So let's talk about it. First of all, glory defined. I'll go ahead and say it to start. It's impossible to define the glory of God. The word glory is much like the word beauty. Think about it. If I were to ask you, define beauty. What is beauty? That's hard to define. Uh, much easier to define baseball. All right? Go Astros. All right, just don't want to throw that out. But uh, but it's much easier for me. I could, I could describe a baseball to you if you've never seen a baseball. And you would see one and say, I, that's a baseball. I, I know what that looks like. Beauty. If I were to say, what is beauty? See, it's harder to define. And here's the point. Glory is like that. Glory is actually an expression of something else. So it's hard to define the glory of God. We can point to it but it's hard to define. This is why I'm going to spend some time on this. Isaiah 6 helps us here. You may know the story if you want to turn to Isaiah 6. It's where Isaiah steps into the temple. We've used this as a pattern for worship, uh, kind of a, a liturgy of worship, an order of worship throughout the ages the church has done this. Because in Isaiah 6, 
we see the angels, the seraphim, and they're crying out to each other. Perhaps you remember this. Holy, 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 which is really a Hebrew superlative way of saying holiest. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth, anybody, is filled with his glory. Not his holiness. The earth is filled with his glory. So you're already seeing, even there, that helps us a bit, that, that, that his holiness is this intrinsic, infinite, beautiful qualities, character of his person. And glory is the extrinsic expression of those characters, our character qualities. I love what, uh, what we see in, in the Reformation. John Calvin, who was the great reformer in Geneva, he would talk about how God possesses all possible perfections. If there's anything perfect, God possesses it. Another great preacher many years later, Jonathan Edwards, the New, English, uh, New England preacher, revivalist in the 1700s, he spoke of God's infinite excellencies. We use words that we don't normally use to describe his glory. We try to find words to express what we're talking about because what we see here is that God, you can say it this way, God's glory is the extrinsic communication of his intrinsic fullness and sufficiency, his self-sufficiency. So Moses said to Aaron in Leviticus 10, 3, this helps us as well. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified. That's another way of saying set apart, holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. He's saying, I will prove myself to be holy. And as I do, the people will see me glorified. So his glory is his holiness going public. It's his holiness seen. The infinite greatness of God. Again, uh, Edwards talked about this, his natural attributes, this infinite greatness. He also talked about his, his infinite goodness, which is his uh, moral attributes. So you could say it this way. Here's another definition that I put together. God's glory is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. There's another word we don't use a lot. Manifold, many, various. And in terms of perfections, infinite perfections. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. God, when he reveals his glory, he's revealing who he is. So when we say that he is all-loving, Again, we've, we've talked about this before, but we, many of us think, well, he's more loving than me. He's more loving than anybody I've ever met. No, 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 listen. He's infinitely loving. He's eternal in time, and he's infinite in all of his qualities. We say, well, he's just. I'm glad he knows what's right. No, no, he's never made a mistake. Every decision he makes is right. He's just in every way. And some of you need to hear that today when you're wondering what is happening in our world. What's happening in my life? Where is God and is he really at work? Does he really love me? Friend, he loves you infinitely. He is all powerful. His power is unlimited. There's nothing he cannot do. He's sovereign, which means he really is in control of your life. He accomplishes all things he sets out to do. 
Now, this is where we, we could enter into this conversation the Reformers wrestled with. But what about free will? Martin Luther talked about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And, and what we see, I, I would describe God's will in your life as much more of a playing field than, than a tightrope. Many of us think, if I step off, I'm going to blow the whole thing. I'm really going to mess up. God in His sovereignty gives you free will to make decisions. But he does so in the parameters that he has set out for his sovereign will to be accomplished. And you say, well, can't I mess up my life? You bet you can. <laughs> we all have. We can all make decisions that will, that will bring about consequences in our lives that will be devastating for us. But listen, I'm not the point. I'm not the end of all things. He is, and his will is accomplished even in, think about it, even in our free will, he still accomplishes his sovereign plan. That is an all-powerful God. That is a God who's sovereign over us. Only God can do that. And to say that he is, is all-powerful, well, he's all-knowing. So his glory expresses all of these intrinsic qualities. Think about this, the implications. He's all-knowing. When you and I pray, God never says, Wow, didn't know that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I had no idea. Tell me more. I, that threw me off. I had no idea you were going through that. God never does that. The Bible says he knows your needs before you even ask. This begs the question, does it not? Are you with me? What's the point of prayer? The primary point of prayer is not to get something. It's to get someone. It's intimacy with God. And He is enough. He is pure reward in prayer. This God that we've reduced to manageable terms is the one who comes into our lives and wants to guide us and lead us and show us how much He loves us. I heard a great a story this week, a young father was taking his daughter to school, and they were without an older sister, so she wasn't in the car, so he had time alone with the little one, and they were driving to, to school, and she said, Daddy, are we, are we almost to school? And he said, yeah, honey, we're almost there, and not long. And she said, I wish it was longer. Friends, listen, that's prayer. It's intimacy with the Father. It's more time with the one who has revealed himself. Yes, he's transcendent. But again, the reformers talked about the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. That he's revealed himself to us. He is close to us. So this is glory declared. First through general revelation. You know, Psalm 19.1 perhaps. The heavens declare the glory of God. We see his invisible attributes in creation, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. People ask, well, Jeff, how do you know there's a God? Just look, look, and see him. He's shouting. This is what the verse is saying. He's shouting, I am glorious in all of creation. Friends, as we watch the leaves change and the fall weather come, he is glorified. He's showing us how beautiful he is. And we see it on every face, every little baby that was brought before God this morning. The glory of God revealed. 
Friends, you were made for this. We were made to see the glory of God and then glorify him through our lives. And listen, if you ever find yourself in a moment of worship like this and you're thinking, uh, is it time to leave? I'm about ready to go. Friends, I, I would pray that we'd come desperate saying, Lord, show me your glory. Show me more of who you are through your word. Friend, we would come and say, Lord, show us your glory. But we have a problem. It's glory diminished. Our sin has left us so that we're like a, it's, it's like a filter over a light. We can't see him for who he is and we can't glorify him if we're not right in right relationship with him. It's why Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Make no mistake though, he does not change. He's not shaken by our sin. Our failure in our sin does not uh, subtract or detract from his holiness one bit. So what we see in Christ, what a glorious, glorious expression of his glory, glory demonstrated in Christ. It's why it says in Hebrews 1.3, Christ is the exact, listen to this, the exact radiance of his glory. In Christ, we see in human form all of the infinite perfections and excellencies of God. It's why John would say in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. In Christ, we see the invisible qualities of God through his perfect life lived for us, through his death upon the cross, through his burial and his resurrection, We see the glory of God as never before. Christ is the ultimate expression of the glory of God so that now as we receive that gift and his spirit that lives in us, we see now glory deflected. In other words, it's like a mirror deflecting light. Christ comes into our lives. The spirit uh, guides us, changes us. No longer do we live for self-glorification. Now we live to glorify him. It's why in Psalm 115.1, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This should be our great prayer as a church. As we are united in him with a singular purpose to glorify God. Not to us. You see, self-glorification is destroyed when we come in the presence of God. We live to his glory. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, he said that the glory of God is man fully alive. That would be the ultimate expression, is the highest of his creation, giving our life to him fully. Friends, listen, here's the great challenge. Every one of us to commit our lives anew today. I will live to the glory of God. In everything I do. Jesus referenced this glory deflected when he said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Every day, everything you do, I want you to think about your life. How are you bringing glory to God? And we can do it in small ways, in big ways, in every day. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you know you can eat to the glory of God? 
by giving him praise for all that he's given to us. And so what we see here, the end of all, the purpose of your life, the end of all creation is his, finally, glory displayed. It's his glory undisplayed. Our rescued lives display his glory. And as we grow in him, listen, beholding him, the more we see him, the more we become like him. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, listen to this, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And he says, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So when you give your life to him, by faith you receive his grace. His spirit comes and dwells in you. And you are being changed. We call it sanctification to become more and more like him. And listen, friends, all of us, all of life is moving to the glorification of God. All of creation. Even those who reject him and in their sin find themselves in destruction, they too are bringing glory to God by revealing His holiness and His perfection and His righteousness. All of creation will point to His glory. Habakkuk uh, 2.14, Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Romans 11.36, again, we read earlier, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. I've heard people ask, well, isn't it kind of selfish for God to want all glory for Himself? Listen, for us, yes. Self-glorification is egotistical. It's selfish because we are not the end thing. We're not the ultimate thing. God is pleased to receive glory, but not because it adds anything to Him. You see, we seek glory to validate ourselves. God, being the ultimate being, is the ultimate end. We are not. So think about it. Good behavior seeks the highest end. So it's completely logical that God would make himself the ultimate end. All of creation points to him, himself on display. And when we find ourselves in heaven, we will be bringing glory to him forever and ever. All of history is pointing to this. It's why our church exists. It's why we gather every week to bring glory to him. So as we close, what does this look like in your life? You know, it means that we're going to point people to him. We're going to talk about how grateful we are for him. We're going to praise him with our words. We're going to encourage others. We're going to point others to him. We're going to serve in such a way that others are bringing glory to him. We're going to to die to ourselves and sacrifice our lives for people around us because our good works point to the Father. We're going to be honest about our failure. We're going to be honest about our sin because even there, his mercy and his grace, his forgiveness has changed us and it brings glory to him. We glorify him as a church When we stay on point, the mission of the church is not up for debate. Our mission is the mission of Christ, who prayed in John 17, 22. He said, the glory that you've given to me, Father, I've given to them, his disciples, and to us. And he says this, that they might be one. Listen, friends, here's what guides us, brothers and sisters, my beloved church family. 
What unites us is that we have a singular purpose, the glory of God. That is what unites us above all else. The glory of God slays the glory of man. And a church that says we will exist to the glory of God means that we will not bring attention to ourselves. We will focus on Christ. We will point everyone to Him. It means that among, and and this critical time in the life of our church, it means that mature uh, leaders and mentors can see those that they're guiding and discipling surpass them. It means that we can step aside to a next generation and say, we want you to see the glory of God as you serve Him. We're going to empower you. We're going to hand the gospel off to the next generation. I'm praying, friends, next week is a key day for us. We've been praying for a volunteer revolution, disciple-making at every level of our church. Are you serving Him? Are you pointing others to Him? It's as simple as opening a door, welcoming someone in, and as leaders step aside with dignity and with, with delight, we're able to push others before us so that they might glorify God, give glory to Him in all that we do. I'm going to close with this. Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests, to our God, and they shall reign on, on the earth. Then he says this, Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, let's all say this together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And he goes on, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, imagine, and all that is in them saying, let's read together, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, this is the end and purpose of all creation. We proclaim it today that we exist for a single purpose, to bring glory to you. And Lord, I pray for those who today need to decide, to make a decision to say, yes, I will commit myself anew to bring glory to you. Whether it's joining our fellowship, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would move among us, that we'd never be the same. And as we find ourselves on this historic day and moving towards a significant day in the life of our church next Sunday, we determine again as a church family, your glory is the end of all that we seek to do and purpose together. We love you. We praise you for Jesus in whose name we pray. Thank you for taking time to watch this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or following Jesus, please go to our website, pcbc.org, or contact our church offices. We hope to see you next week at church.